On this episode of the Hyperfast Agent Podcast, we are joined by Lindy Chapman from DOS Social Agents. Listen in as Lindy presents at the Hyperfast Sales Summit. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the Hyperfast Show, where we believe unlimited growth in business and life is created by surrounding yourself with people who have been where you are going. Learning from others allows you to compress time and grow hyperfast. And now, here are your hosts, Kerry Shaw and Dan Lesniak. Kerry and Dan are real estate developers, best-selling authors, billion-dollar agents, and million-dollar agent makers. And now, get ready to grow hyperfast. Um, I have a little secret to tell you. I got into this industry because I didn't like any of you, right? <laughs> I was a client more than a dozen, a dozen times moving around the country as well as internationally with my husband's job. It required us to move, including in January of 2020. And I found that after I, well, I, it was frustrating. And I found after becoming a real estate agent, it wasn't that I had bad agents. I didn't know the questions to ask to find the right one. But those were bad agents because they didn't, weren't honest with me to tell me that they didn't have the time or the area expertise that I needed to successfully either buy or sell a home. And even being a real estate agent and having sold my home in Dallas last uh, December, I also had another bad experience just having to navigate that with the buyer's agent after I found the buyer myself. And that agent had never shown that buyer a home. And the only way she knew to make up for that $20,000 or so commission that we were paying her was to beat me on my price and to beat me down on the repairs. So it was frustrating. And then when we were trying to find a home in Dallas or in Boston this year, I was the one that found it and not my agent. So I wanna help you to understand from the consumer's perspective. Because when I did become a realtor after having moved to Dallas in 2014, I was really amazed to hear agents talk about their clients. And you've all heard it, and you've all had frustrating clients. I certainly had frustrating clients. But I want to help put you in the shoes of the consumer so that next time you can kind of understand not only a little bit about what they're coming from so you can offer better service, but also so that you can know when it's time to pivot, when to look at a different way of doing things and and be ready to to pivot and not pause. And I love this, um, the topic of this, and I love what um, the Carrie Shell team has put together here and the people that I've talked to today because I think you're all obviously looking at it. You see the trends, you see what's going on, you see the challenges to getting listings, to getting new buyers. But I think if you can put your self in the shoes of the consumer, you're going to understand a little bit better how you can pivot. And I also want to, let me bring this up real quick. I've got a video to show, and I, but I want to say this too. I'm a consumer advocate, but I'm also a real estate agent advocate. Our job's hard. It's difficult, right? There are 1.4 million real estate agents in the U.S., and that doesn't even count. That's the members of NAR. That doesn't even count the 50,000 or so that are in New York City or other areas that are not members of NAR, but they have their own associations that they've created. Our job's hard, right? The competition is fierce. The barrier to entry, it's not that high, right? Have we all seen agents that we thought, well, how did they get in this business? How did they win that listing over me? We've all seen it, right? We work for free. We hate that, but we do. It takes more cold leads to get a warm one. 
these days because of the competition. And because of that, sometimes we get overpaid to make up for the times we're underpaid. So you can imagine if you're frustrated, if I was frustrated as the realtor, you can only imagine how frustrated the consumer can be. So in thinking through this and, and my own frustration when I became a realtor and I was working and, and some of my own frustrations, we created a little video. And it's the consumer's dilemma. And it was kind of my husband's idea. And he is actually plays, the, the guy that was going to play him that day, and it's just a bunch of my friends in Dallas, actually had to go to the hospital. And so my husband's like, you've got to play the part. We've got the coffee shop <laughs> reserved. And it was your idea because here's a funny story. You probably won't appreciate me telling this. He told me one day, he goes, Lindy, here's the thing. If something ever happens to you, I'm going to go into a coffee shop and I'm going to announce very loudly, I have a house to sell. And I thought that was brilliant. So take a look, see if you can put yourself in the consumer's shoes and just understand, and I'm gonna explain a little bit more some other stories. Can y'all see it? Okay, go away. Jay, great news, I got the job. So we're definitely gonna move. We're gonna to have to sell the house. I need to find a realtor. That's easy to do around here. I know we're in a coffee shop, but watch this. Hey, don't you have a beautiful home you have to sell? You're a plumber. I don't know if any of you know Roger Wakefield. He's a good friend of mine and he is a plumber on YouTube, but he's also in part of a real estate group that I'm in. Does anybody get that? Resonate? I've shown it to a couple of realtors and like, I don't get it. I'm like, but I show it to consumers like that's hysterical. So, but that's the consumer's dilemma. How do you know what agent to trust? Is it the person that has the best branding? Is it the discount agent? Is it the 6% agent? Is it something in between? They don't know. And I think one of our jobs, and I'm with DOS Social Agents, it's a new company, and DOS Social Agents is designed to help the agents that are out there, the great agents out there, because we want you to be successful. And as Carrie, I think, mentioned um, earlier that 90% of new agents fail. We want the 10% that are great at what they do, that are passionate about what they do, that are doing it full time. We want to help them be successful. And we also want to help those agents that don't make it because it's a hard business to make it in. Right? Okay. Just making sure it wasn't just me. But it's a hard business to make it in. And uh, so I'm excited and I'll tell you a little bit more about DOS Social in a minute. Um, I want to leave you with this today. Actually, we're going to start with this and we're going to end with this. Leave the consumer, the client, better off than they would have been without you. When we're talking about shifts in the way the industry does, and we're talking about new disruptor models and new ways of doing things, we have to be asking us this because the consumer is looking for ways around us. And we need to make sure that we are the best option that that client has. This industry is no longer one size fits all. I first heard this from a gentleman named Carl Slade. I was a, tra a traditional industry, traditional brokerage where I started in Dallas. And I was frustrated because again, I went there as the consumer and I thought I'm going to emulate the best agents that I had had. And I'm also going to make sure that nobody ever gets a bad agent again. And what I quickly realized is I wasn't the right agent for every, for every client that came along. I didn't have either the expertise or the time or the specific property type knowledge. 
And I began to see where the disconnect was. But Carl Slade says this, and he has a, he has a real estate brokerage in New Zealand. And he has a podcast called Real Estate Restated. I highly recommend that you check it out. It's a really great, he has some great wisdom. And they do real estate different there. So it does kind of make you start to think, huh, maybe this is a little bit messed up the way we do things and the way we've always done it. Maybe I do understand why these disruptors are entering the market or why somebody would leave a big brokerage with all the bells and whistles to come and start their own thing like the Shell team has done. And also I would echo what Michael said, our reputations aren't that stellar. He mentioned we're one step above sex workers. The, my survey is better. It says we're one step above used car salespeople. So I'm gonna stick with that one. Right. But that's the reputation that people have. And, and as I was preparing for this and I had done this with my broker when I was there before I left, because my real estate manager told me, she says, Linda, you're the only person I know that ever had a bad experience with an agent. I had actually just lost a listing appointment to a buyer friend of mine. And when she when I pulled out my bright and shiny book and told her who I was with, she looked at me, and she goes, I will never work with that company. And I lost the listing. And so we were talking about that. And she was trying to convince me that agent, that people loved agents. So that was, that was an interesting conversation. But I did the survey. What are some of the words you've heard people say about real estate agents? What are the, what are the stereotypes that we're battling? I'll tell you a few, but feel free to throw some extra in. Untrustworthy. We're more concerned about our commissions than we are about their equity. They're, we're not good at communicating. We don't answer. We're unprofessional. We are impatient. One of my favorites was they're overdressed. And that comes to empathy. And I would say that to you. If your client's wearing blue jeans, wear a nice jacket and jeans and some good shoes. I got fussed out one day for coming into my, in my office and I was wearing jeans with a cute jacket, nice boots. And my manager told me I should never dress like that again. I had been showing land to a man without teeth. He was a rich man, but he was in overalls and I was dressed accordingly. And again, that was kind of the beginning of the end of going, I, my paradigm, my view of things don't fit here. It wasn't a bad agent. It was a beautiful, it was a wonderful agency. I didn't fit there. I didn't belong. They also say, why does it cost more to list a million dollar house than a $500,000 house? That doesn't make sense. It makes sense to us today, but at what point in history is that no longer going to make sense? So, I paint this picture for you because I want you to keep this in mind. I don't want you to be that agent in the video that I just showed you. I want you to think about the consumer. Don't rush to give your card and say you're the right person to list until you know you're a farm and ranch expert or you're a condo expert in Dallas. Don't try it out on the first person that comes along. I would disagree with sometimes what the industry says, unless you can either learn to be an expert and you have become an expert in that, or you can take somebody along with you that is already an expert. So leave the consumer better off than you would be without them. Let me tell you a little story. I helped my parents list their home in, in uh, March. But they had interviewed agents, which was funny, right? I love parents. Um, she calls me. She goes, oh, my gosh, we've got, like, all these different um, uh, listing prices for our home. One agent said 465 but another one told us 585 I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's, like, a lot of money difference. I said, let me see if I can figure it out. So I fly to North Carolina in the middle of the pandemic, and, um, and, I, and I start calling people and asking about agents. And I actually thought this would be fun. I posted on Facebook. My parents have a home to sell, exactly, right? And I said, my parents have a home to sell. I'm looking for a great agent, a local agent that would be great with a furnished rental with a great, excellent listing history. 
or rental history. I had 102 responses. No one mentioned the same agent twice when they recommended an agent, but it was more of the fun stuff that they said about what they think about agents. So if you think that I might be off track a little bit, do your experiment sometime, post on there and find out what happens or reread it. You've all read these things, right? I'm not telling you anything new, I don't imagine. But it does help to put yourself in that consumer's perspective instead of going, well, I don't understand why they think it. Put yourself in their shoes and see why they think it. My parents had more than $100,000 different prices from listing agents. If you're the consumer, who do you trust? How do you know who to trust? I want to think my house is worth $585,000, but what if it's not? The other interesting thing, when we did get it sold and, and, and I sat with the agent, the agent at one point said, well, we got a $525,000 offer. That's great because we listed it at five fifty dollars to get five twenty-five. dollars I looked at my, my mom, looks at me, she goes, did we? I said, no, she said five fifty. dollars I trust her. And so we went back and we said, no, we really want five fifty. dollars Guess what they closed at? five fifty. dollars The agent was ready to give it away at five twenty-five. dollars this is one of the problems social agents is helping to solve as well, because we can come behind you and we're a second voice to help your consumer see the truth and to know the truth and to know that you can be trusted. See things from the eyes of the client. Know, when to, know what the consumer knows and know when you need to pivot. Good agents are invaluable. They're worth so much, right? But a bad agent makes the rest of our jobs difficult. So make sure you're always putting that consumer's needs first. We all have our own standard, our own perspective, the way of seeing things. It's your paradigm. And again, I'm here to be the consumer, to be the voice of the consumer so you can understand and hear what the consumer is thinking. So even though you're on your own paradigm, which may be working great right now for the way you're doing your business, but when that starts to shift and the consumer no longer sees things from your perspective, that's when it's ready to shift. And the challenge of perspective, you've all seen this photo. What do you see when you look at it? Do you see a beautiful lady or do you see a witch? You see both, but you see one thing first. And that's the way the consumer's looking at our industry. They're looking at it one way and then they've got these bright shiny objects coming up with new broker models and VC backed tech uh, companies. And they're trying to figure it out. So we need to understand that perspective. Again, in order to be able to pivot, you have to understand what the consumer's looking for, but at the same time, we do have a responsible as professionals to know what we're talking about. Sometimes the consumers want things that aren't good for them, and we need to be willing to either lose the listing because they want us to discount the listing, and, and we really need to do full price, and I'm going to tell you a fun story at the end about that, or we need to maybe send them to somebody who's going to serve them better. Hey, hold that thought for a minute. Do you have a client that needs to buy or sell a home in the DMV area? then why not trust the highest selling team in the DMV, the Carrie Scholl team? We've helped thousands of buyers and sellers and would love to help your clients. And we guarantee we will save them time, money, and stress throughout the process. And they will be so grateful that you referred them to us. Go to carriescholl.com to learn more. Again, that's carriescholl.com to learn more about sending us your clients that need to buy or sell a home in the DMV area. That's carryshull.com. Let me ask you a question. How long have you been a real estate agent? Who's been a real estate agent less than five years? A lot of people. Awesome. How about 10 years? 20? 15? Okay. When was the last time you bought or sold a house without a real estate agent or with, with a real estate agent, without your license? 
think about it. If you were to list your home tomorrow, would you wanna pay $50,000 in commissions? Would you be looking for a better way to protect your equity? Would you be looking to hire somebody that is there to protect your equity of their own commissions? And here's the challenge. Right now, I think it's good. We have, we have a few more really great years of doing business, I think the way we've, we've done it or the way we're pivoting right now to do it. But there's a time when a, paradi a paradigm shift happens. I don't know if Saul Klein is watching today or any of you know Saul Klein. He was actually an industry pioneer back in, in uh, San Diego. He helped brokers see the revelation, the revolution that the internet was gonna cause and was able to talk them out of their printed MLS listings into putting them on the MLS online. It was a hard sell, but he saw the future of real estate. He saw the future of brokerage and where it was going and the future of the MLS. And so we were talking the other day about paradigm shifts in our industry. A paradigm shift cannot fully occur until technology aligns with what consumers want and delivers a better way of doing things. So the consumer can want to do a work around us all day long, right? But until the technology aligns with that and until personal relationships aren't as paramount as they are today, and I think personal relationship is, is still very important to the consumer, that paradigm shift can't happen. But I want you to take a look at this. I think you're gonna recognize a few of these relics, right? Can you imagine 10 years ago not ever getting in a yellow cab again or not going to Blockbuster to get your movies or using a, cam a film camera or going to a bookstore to actually buy your books? It's hard to imagine that only 10 years ago we were doing those things. Can you imagine in 2020 going to a bookstore to buy your books? How much have we bought on Amazon this year? I mean, we have actually tested and tried the theory that you actually can buy everything and never leave the comfort of your home for weeks, right? Same thing with Blockbuster. Do you miss paying late fees? Do you miss going and getting two movies at the counter, so you, or three movies at the counter, so that you can get the free popcorn? When you're not gonna watch the three movies, you know you're not, and you're gonna end up paying late fees on it because there's no way you have time to watch three movies. Can you imagine in 2020 if there were late fees? We would owe a lot of money and we'd probably still be in line looking for the next copy of Tiger King to come into the store. We don't miss it. We don't miss it. But yet at the same time, you know, the interesting thing is, is paradigm shifts are kind of funny. They, they happen in stages. Here's the blockbuster timeline. And I think this is really interesting. Netflix was founded by Reed Hastings and his partner um, in, in 1997. And you've probably heard this, but in 2000, Netflix offered to sell for $5 million to Blockbuster and they turned it down. Hindsight's 2020, right? But Blockbuster kept rocking along, right? I was still getting Blockbuster movies in 2010. That was in 2000. Blockbuster reaches its peak valuation of $5 billion in 2004. Game changer, 2007, Netflix, Netflix launches streaming services. Right, in 2010, what happens? Oh, in 2007, I forgot, because this is important too, and I don't think it's on there. No, it was in 2004, Blockbuster was sued for late fees. I don't know if you know that or not, or if you've been watching the news to see that the, the, uh, the request for NAR to throw out those recent lawsuit was lost. Inman announced yesterday that um, one of the big brokerages is now, or I guess it's, um, I can't remember, I think it was I'm not wanting to say it wrong. It was one of the tech companies, maybe one of the iBuyers, is not only paying about 2% to the buyer's agent in a lot of markets. 
It's only time until that number gets changed, that automatic 3% to the buyer's agent, because that's what the lawsuit's about. It's only time until that changes. How are you going to pivot when that happens? Again, Blockbuster in 2010. My parents were still going. I think they went until about the last one closed in 2019, right? See if you, this looks familiar. This is the real estate timeline. 1900s, early 1900s, Caldwell Banker comes on the scene. National Association of Realtors, or what became the National Association of Realtors, um, was created. And then in the 70s, 60s, 70s, 80s, all the big players that we know came on board. But in the last 20 years, and that is only a drop in the bucket, of the, <laughs> because I didn't have any more room, of the companies that have come to be. That timeline to me looks a lot to me like Blockbuster. But here's the good news. Oh, actually, here's not the good news. I got ahead of myself. Man report on consumer attitudes, lest you think I'm, uh, I'm, I'm making any of this up. This was a report with, or a, a survey with 1,000 home buyers and sellers in November, I think, of 2019. And this is what consumers say. Commissions are too high, 43%. Lack of transparency, conflict of interest, in, uh, conflict of interest, lack of communication, the agent cannot be trusted, process too manual, too much paperwork, takes too long, it's too time consuming, agents tell too much information. A lot of those problems can be solved with what? Technology. Some of them can't. And the good news is, is 29% still think nothing's wrong with the process. That's almost a third. So that's the good news. And here's some more good news. I did a survey recently on LinkedIn and I asked people, what, buying a home, what matters to you most? I didn't know what the answer was gonna be. I was curious to know, but 75% said over brand, over broker, over rebates, it was personal relationship. So that's important. So we've got technology, but if you can combat technology with high touch, you're onto something. But you've got to understand, we've got to find a way to lead between these paradigms. Think back to that timeline that I showed you. There's an interesting little thing going on up in Salt Lake City that we see playing out throughout cities and within between brokerages around the world. There's a company there, or the National Association of Realtor Board there put up a sign saying, don't risk your equity for a discount. Well, the founder of Homey, which is a disruptor broker there that does um, flat fee listings says, are we discount or are they overpriced? When you're driving down the road and you're the consumer and you have a house to sell and you see that sign, what do you see? One on the left is pro realtor, right? The one on the right is pro me. It's all about me because I'm the consumer and I either have an investment or my equity to protect. Managers lead within the paradigm. They say we are the best way. Leaders lead outside their point of view, the way they've always done business and they look for a better way. So no matter what you're doing and what's working today, you may not have to pivot today, but be thinking about what is that consumer seeing? What are they thinking? Saul Klein also gives these two questions when we were discussing this. And this is from a guy named Joel Barker who authored a book um, back last century, uh, in late last century, but um, on paradigms and the history of business. And he says, what is currently impossible and if it were possible would fundamentally change the way you do business. In 2020, we've seen what's possible. I live in Boston. I don't even sell houses anymore. And I sold two houses during the pandemic from my Boston condo to former clients in, in Dallas. I was able to sell homes. I wasn't planning on being able to do that. I still have my real estate license there, but I'm not in the process. I'm in the process of exiting the industry as an agent. 
we, we learned what is possible in 2020. Don't be this guy. Back in my day, this is how we did things. It's 2020. It, everything has changed. Everything about your perspective needs to change. And then he says, what is currently possible to do in your business? And if it were impossible, would fundamentally change the way you do business. We talked about the lawsuit. What happens when buyer agents are no longer paid 3%? How do you pay those referral fees and broker fees and broker splits? How do you manage the cost of doing business when you're selling a $200,000 home? How does that $200,000 home seller get the, the service they need? They're probably gonna go with a tech brokerage. So ask yourself this, whose problem are you solving? If you wanna pivot, answer that question. Are you solving the client's problem first or is it your broker's? Are you working as a professional or a salesperson? We don't wanna be salespeople, we wanna be professionals. We wanna be the smartest person in the room. We wanna be the one with the solution for our client not the person jumping up from the coffee table and spilling their coffee to get to the client and get their card to them so they can get a listing in an area or a property type that they know nothing about because you've just made our jobs, the rest of our jobs harder because you're not gonna be the best agent for that client. Are you protecting the consumer's investment or are you protecting your commission? Are you justifying the times you get overpaid to make up for the times you're underpaid? And then the final question, is the client really better off than they would be without you? I love Bezos and the way he founded Amazon, love him or hate him, love the company or hate it. Focus on the consumer, obsess about them. What is it they're wanting? What is their paradigm, their frame of reference? And as the industry, like I said earlier, as it becomes more high tech, become more high touch because this is still a very emotional thing, buying and selling a house. And I'm gonna leave and close with this. I, after I um, left the first brokerage, one of the reasons I left was because my manager told me I would never be successful. I'd helped a for sale by owner. He was the fire chief in our town to sell his home. He had a for sale by owner sign out there. I had an investor, but I found out it had a pool. And I was like, Danny, you can't sell your house without a sign that says pool. He goes, well, that's at least the nicest thing anybody said to me. Every agent in town has told me that I will never sell my house, that they won't even show it. And I'm a fire chief. I know everybody in town. So I didn't even know who to list with because if I listed with one, I'd make 50 more unhappy. So I thought I was doing a good thing by not choosing. And so I said, oh, Danny, I said, that's no problem. Let me get you the sign. Here's my stager's number. He'd been on the market eight weeks. He was panicked because they had bought a home. And it sold that weekend for the full price that he was asking. He just needed a stager and a sign that said pool. That was all he needed. My manager found out about it. And that's when she told me I would never be successful. And I left soon after that. I was already on the way out. But then I discovered this powerful little book called The Go-Giver. But it's by Bob Berg and John David Mann. And it's called The Go-Giver. And I read the book. And I realized my paradigm, my business, the way I see business is a business philosophy and a successful one. And I joined DOS which is askdos.com. And I became CEO of DOS Social after Bobby Bryant, the founder, showed me he has the five stratospheric laws of success on our website. I finally found a brokerage that was about the service that I was seeking when I was the client. And I finally found a brokerage that understands it's not one size fits all. And that's why we have DOS Social. Even though you've got the tech listing side and a company that gives rebates, DOS Social is brand agnostic. We work with brokers with anybody. We work with flat fee. And in fact, when I was in Dallas last week, I met with two sellers 
One, I gave to a full service brokerage. She had a $2 million house and that was who she needs to list with. The other one probably needs a flat fee listing because really all she needs is a sign in the yard to get that full price that she needs and to maximize her equity. So I regress. The five stratospheric laws of success that I promise you, if you apply them, they'll make you successful in your business. The money will follow. The law of value. Your true worth is, is determined by how much more you give in value than you take in payment. The law of compensation. Your income is determined by how many people you help and how well you serve them. The law of influence. Your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's needs above your own. Authenticity, the most valuable gift you have is to offer yourself. And finally, the law of receptivity. The key to giving is also being open to receiving. I'm gonna give you a quick story at the end to kind of show you how this could work out in your own business. Again, right after I left this agency, I didn't know if I'd be successful or not. My manager had told me I certainly wouldn't. But I went to a brokerage, no frills. I didn't even have a website. And I was at a party one day and a gentleman there that I knew but didn't know well said that he was going to be selling his house. He was moving to Houston. And his neighbor was one of the top brokers in town and wanted to list it for six eighty, dollars but he was going to charge him 6%. And he didn't see any reason why he needed to pay $40,000 in commissions. So I said, well, you know what? I'm not going to lose anything. So let me come over there because I'm not going to get the listing, obviously. And, um, and let me just take a look at it. And I'll tell you if 680 is the right price. Well, I went in. 680 was absolutely the right price. Highest home in the neighborhood had been 705. But I walk into the backyard and it was beautiful. And I just looked at him. I said, I think you're right. And he, and he does million dollar contracts for his company. He owns his own business. Smart guy. And, so, and he had time on his hands. He was in between businesses. So he stuck a sign in the yard that weekend. He called me Monday. He had a $700,000 cash offer and he took every bit of it and he didn't pay any commissions. It's $40,000 he saved in commissions. It was the right thing to do. A few weeks later, he calls me. He says, hey, Lindy, my neighbor wants to sell his house. I'm like, oh God, what have I done? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, not everybody's house is going to be able to do that. Yours was special and your attitude about it was special. There was nothing I was going to be able to deliver to you that was ever going to convince you that $40,000 was worth paying my brokerage. He goes, oh no, I don't think he wants to do that. He just needs to talk to somebody because he's got a three bedroom house in this five bedroom neighborhood and he wants $750 for it. And I'm like, that's not possible. But I went over there and met with him anyway. Well, it turns out he had put $350,000 into the house he had bought for $300. It had been a five, four-bedroom house. He had taken one and built this beautiful wood-paneled study. And we came up with a strategy that I charged 6% for. And the strategy worked. And he didn't want it in MLS. He didn't want a sign in the yard. He didn't even want an open house. In five days, we had it under contract for $738. How did we do it? We, it, it was strategy. We got an appraisal, first of all, so that I could prove that the home was worth what he was wanting. And we also had to use the neighbors to find the buyer, which is where influence comes in, is having those, this Facebook and the influence in neighborhoods and in communities in order to be able to justify when you do charge 6%, because you're going to find that buyer that may not be looking. But we closed on that house at 738. Last I checked, it was still the highest price sold in that neighborhood, and it was a three-bedroom house. It's worth every penny, but hard to justify on paper, but easy to justify the 6%. And it all came from helping the guy next door. And I'll tell you one other thing real quick. My favorite agent ever was an agent that didn't sell me a house. 
she was the devil's advocate in every one we went and she gave me time. She wasn't looking at her commission and she was a 50% commission agent because I was with a relocation company who was taking a nice wad of cash from her if we bought something. I've sent her three large referrals because she's in an area of Connecticut that's very expensive since then. So even though she didn't make commission off of me, she made it off of three other people. Leave the client better off than they would have been without you. So I'm Lindy Chapman. Thanks so much. Follow me on Relo Talk. I'm on LinkedIn Live. I was one of the first people to give an access to LinkedIn Live, which was hysterical because I've never even done a Facebook Live. But if you are on LinkedIn, connect with me. On Fridays, I interview relocation clients. And I interview primarily expats around the world that have actually created careers that would be really beneficial for you to know about because they're great resources for your clients, especially when you're working with somebody who is new to town. So again, Lindy Chapman, connect with me. Thanks so much. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Hyper Fat Show. Subscribe to us if you want to make sure you get the latest and greatest Hyper Fat Shows. And remember, we love reviews. Reviews help us bring better and better guests, improve our shows, and give us the good, the bad, and the ugly. We hope you enjoyed the show, and we will see you next time.